0: I have up here a chair and a bowl and a towel. And if you're even somewhat uh, conditioned by what the church does, this is, seeing something like this makes you nervous. And it makes you nervous because when you see something like this, it means someone's about to get their feet washed. No one's running out the door, so that's a good thing. <laughs> Uh, foot washing is a part of the life of the church it's something in other traditions that happens all the time in others it's something that doesn't happen it's because Jesus washed the feet of the disciples on their final evening together before he was crucified it's this remarkable moment in the gospel of John and it makes church people so uncomfortable now we're not going to wash anybody's feet you can, all, you can be like "Eda, the, you know, the, the stress can leave you now I'm not going to wash anybody's feet this morning I put it up here because I want to share with you a story a uh, story Foot washing uh, is, like I said, something that does occasionally happen in church, but it almost always happens on youth mission trips. Mission trips kind of build. uh, You know, you you take teenagers away for a week and they they serve with other people. And at the end of the trip, like the last big worship night, is usually a foot washing. And there will be a basin like this that is placed on the floor. And someone like me will talk about Jesus' final evening with his friends and how it was important for him to get down on his knees and to wash their feet and that part of what it means to be a Christian is a witness to humility of serving and of being served. And so usually what happens on a mission trip is the chair in the basin is made available. And then we say to the kids, if there's someone here whose feet you'd like to wash, go ask them, bring them up. They can sit down and you will wash their feet. Now, if you, if you can imagine how uncomfortable you all were like two and a half minutes ago, imagine how you would feel if you were in the seventh grade and you were just told you have to wash somebody's feet or that your feet are gonna be washed. Years ago, I, went, uh, I took a group of kids on a mission trip. We were in Winchester, Virginia, and we'd been there for a whole week, and there was a girl in the church I was serving who was just an absolute delight, like one of those like, perfect kids in church, always volunteered, always happy to like say a prayer. She was just wonderful. And there was a boy on the trip who mercilessly bullied her all week. I mean, every chance he got, he made fun of her. He took her food away from her. He was just like truly kind of like an awful human being for six days. The other kids tried to intervene. We, the adults, tried to intervene. and He just kept being so horrible to her the whole week. Now, when we got to the final night and I said to everybody, now we're going to have our foot washing service. And I read the scripture from John. I explained what was going on. I said, no one's going to tell you you have to do it. You're not forced to do it. This is entirely if you feel like there's someone here whose feet you want to wash. And that girl stood up before I had finished saying what I was going to say, and she walked right over to the bully, grabbed him by the hand, and brought him to the chair. And he sat down, and he just started to weep because he knew how terrible he had been. I mean, he really knew deep in his bones what he had done to that girl. And everyone in the room was silent, and we were all watching this this holy moment take place. And so she got down on her knees and she took off his shoes and she got the water in her hands, and we could all hear him whisper, But I don't deserve it. And she responded rather loudly, That's the whole point. (laughs) That's the whole point. Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter, verses 35 through 45. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I'm baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Now when the other ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them, but it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm convinced that love, the word love, is one of the most overused and therefore underwhelming words that we speak on a regular basis. What was once reserved for the intimate connection between individuals or for God is now the word that we use to describe any affection toward anything. For instance, I tried to keep track this week of just how many times I heard other people use the word love. I heard about the love of our fall weather. I heard about the love of a certain gritty Star Wars Disney Plus series. That might have been me, by the way. I even heard someone describe their love, I kid you not, of Taco Bell. Even in the church. We drop the L word all the time. The love of God, the love of neighbor. We sing of the gift of love. We participate in the service of others in the name of love. To quote a very popular movie from a season that is just around the corner, love actually is all around, and yet, If love actually is all around, what difference does it make? Now, according to the Strange New World of the Bible, love is not found in affection or Hallmark cards or even romantic comedies. Instead, love is found in service. I love the Thunder Brothers. James and John the sons of Zebedee we call them the thunder brothers Peter is often seen as our proxy in the New Testament he's always rushing in he says more than he knows but the thunder brothers are the perfect paragons of pathetic performance how about that for an alliteration the perfect paragons of pathetic performance Jesus teaches the disciples about the mysteries of the kingdom of God the mysteries of the gospel he offers them miraculous food when all they can see is scarcity he spells out the whole death and resurrection business the exodus for the rest of us as literally as he can And the Thunder Brothers still don't get it. They approach Jesus and they say, we'd like to have cabinet positions in the kingdom of God. They want power when God in the flesh just told them moments before that glory comes in weakness. And for those of you keeping score at home, this is the third time Jesus has said these exact words to these exact disciples. Now maybe... Maybe we could give the Thunder Brothers the benefit of the doubt. Maybe confronted with the very bad news that the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priest, that he will be abandoned, he will be murdered. Maybe they just want to stay on the sunny side of things. Excuse us, Jesus. It's all nice to hear about the Son of Man stuff, but can we talk about what it's going to be like when you're finally in charge? Because we have some ideas that we'd like to share with you. My brother and I, we think we'd be good positions for upper management in the kingdom of God. What do you think, Jesus? Jesus. And Jesus, ever the good rabbi, answers with a question. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And the Thunder Brothers say, Lord, we are able, our spirits are thine. No, he said, no, no, don't sing it. You don't need to sing the whole song. But let's be sure we're on the same page. Remember, I'm in the death and resurrection business. I'm here to turn the world upside down. So for God's sake, literally, pay attention to what I say. If you want to be first, you have to be last. If you want to be great, you have to be the least. For I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Do you understand? Are you able? Are we able? It's a great question. And the answer is yes and no. We are able to follow the Lord, but we do not know where following the Lord will take us. The Thunder Brothers, they want power, they want prestige, they want glory. In short, they want what all of us want. They want the easiest way to the top in the shortest amount of time with the least amount of resistance possible. But glory, real, faithful glory, isn't what we imagine it to be. We might picture the corner office or the perfect stock portfolio or the kids going to the right colleges or going to seminary so that people will call you reverend one day. But that's not what glory is. Jesus says glory is service. And Jesus serves the sinful who seek glory by the wrong means for the wrong reasons. Discipleship is just another word for following Jesus. And it is a strange and a wondrous thing. It is strange because we have no idea where we're going. But it is wondrous because we know that God in Christ is with us on the ride. Contrary to how we might imagine the faith to be, it's not made up of theological propositions of all these righteous behaviors. The marks of a Christian can actually be summarized very simply. Are you serving Jesus or not? Bob Dylan sung a great song about it. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. It's not a very good Bob Dylan impression, I apologize. <laughs> Are we following Jesus or not? Now, now, the simplicity of that question actually betrays how complicated it really is. Because whatever our faith may be, whatever it might look like, it's found in the following. Discipleship in the end is often nothing more than stumbling along on the roads of life behind Jesus, going from one adventure to the next, knowing the only thing that we know is that Jesus is the one leading the way. We actually don't really even choose to be Christians. It's something that's done to us. I've never known a life outside the church. Credit to my parents. They started bringing me before I had a choice. I've never known a life other than coming to church every single Sunday. But even if you come to faith later in life, it's often not because you made a choice to do it. It's because something happened to you. And that something has a name. It's Jesus. Jesus gathers people like us on the journey called faith. A journey that we might not have ever chosen on our own. Jesus drags us to places that we might not have ever discovered on our own. And when Jesus takes us places, the crucible of our discipleship is service. Jesus eventually brings us to places where we can serve and where we can be served. However, serving others, putting the needs of others before our own, it doesn't actually make us righteous. It's not a salve. It doesn't earn us any reward in heaven. No amount of good works can make up for our lack of goodness. The only thing service does is it rightly orders our disordered lives. Rich Mullins, the contemporary Christian artist who passed away a couple years ago, he he said Christianity is not about building an absolutely secure little niche in the world where you can live with your perfect family and your perfect little house where you never encounter anyone with any problems. He said Christianity is about learning to love like Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus loved the poor, and Jesus loved the broken. Jesus says to his disciples, "Then and now, take up your cross and follow me." Where does Jesus go? He spends his time among the last, the least, the lost, the little and the dead. I love that Jesus rebukes the Thunder Brothers for the request. It's like the scripture, scripture's way of saying, "Are you out of your minds? You don't know what you're asking for. After all the parables and all the public displays of religious affection, they still don't get it, and yet Jesus not only rebukes them, he also makes them a promise. It's a promise to them and to us that we need not live in fear. We need not seek out all sources of power that we possibly can. Jesus promises us something, and it's the cross. From beginning to end, Jesus' ministry it wasn't about amassing power, at least not power defined by the world. Jesus spends his entire ministry bearing the suffering that comes as a result for caring for the weak and putting the first last and last first. Flannery O'Connor, the great writer, said that most people come to church by means the church does not allow, else there would be no need of their getting to her at all. Which is just another way of saying, Jesus meets us where we are, not where we ought to be. Jesus meets us where we are, not where we ought to be, but then Jesus takes us somewhere else. Now, that journey called faith, it it might look kind of crazy. It might look like spending a week at the church serving for a vacation bible school teaching children about grace and love words that they might not otherwise know service might look like working hard in the kitchen week after week whether you're doing it here at church or at home to make sure that bellies are full particularly for people who don't know what it's like to have their bellies feel full it might look like joining in worship singing leading in prayer It might look like contributing to the financial aspects of the church, making a way for ministries where there is no way. It might look like a whole bunch of other things. It might look like purchasing a rose every time a baby is born in the congregation. It might look like serving at a soup kitchen downtown. It might look like volunteering at the rescue mission. It might look like being the coach for a cross-country team. Who knows how you might serve, but there are ways. It might look like something we haven't even thought of yet. But if it is guided by grace, moved with mercy, filled with faith, then it is probably part of the journey we call faith. To love is to serve. To serve is to love. And yet, at the same time, to receive love is to receive service. To receive service is to receive love. This is, by my estimation, an often under-discussed part of our faith. It's It's really good and fine to talk about all the needs that the world has and talk about how people like you and me, we can go fix all the world's problems. That's most of like what the church does on a regular basis. But one of the things we don't talk about very much at all is how much we need help. That sometimes we need to be served. We focus so much on serving other people that we forget that we often need to be poured into as well, that we need others to do for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. It's another thing entirely to put ourselves as the recipients of service when all we can ever think about is what we can do for other people. It's hard to be humble enough to ask for help. My last church, we had a food distribution ministry when the local food banks would come once a month with a semi-truck and they'd pull it in our parking lot and we'd set up all these plastic folding tables and everyone in the community knew that on that the first Tuesday of the month you could come over to the church and you would get food. You didn't have any choice over the food. Sometimes you'd get a a Swiss chard. What do y'all do with Swiss chard, you know? But we had it. Some weeks they would have boxes of mac and cheese, which is great, except it doesn't really do you good to have a box of mac and cheese if you don't have a stove to cook the mac and cheese on. But no matter what, every month we gave away tons and tons of food, and hundreds of people would line up in the parking lot. A lot of them didn't have cars to drive, so they'd have to walk to the church. Those who did have cars usually lived in their cars. Every, week, every month we would give away all this food, and I remember going out there one week to help serve, and I, so I looked at it, all the cars in the parking lot, and as far away in the far corner as possible was a shiny black Mercedes-Benz. I thought, that's kind of strange. I mean, we had some pretty well-off people to church, but those were the people that didn't usually come to give food away. So I thought, I was wondering, Who's, whose Mercedes is that? But I didn't really pay attention. I went down to help give food out, and I heard a fight start to break out between a mother with her child and another mother with her child. And so I walked closer, and I heard one of the women say to the others, you don't deserve this food. And the other woman had tears streaming down her face, and she said, but I need it. And the other woman said, no, you don't. I just saw you pulling here with that Mercedes. You don't deserve this food. And I walked up, I said, what's going on? And the woman with tears down her face, she said, my husband abandoned us six months ago with his secretary. Took everything. I've maxed out all of our credit cards. I can't do anything. This is the only way I can get around to get food. We have absolutely nothing. And I said, well, I, we've been doing this for a while. Haven't, why didn't you come last month? And she said, I didn't want to ask for help. It is hard to humble ourselves to ask for help when we need it. But part of the life of faith is serving and of being served. Because no matter how much we like to pretend like we all have it figured out, the truth is we're all making it up as we go and we can all use all the help we can get. The good news of the gospel is that God chooses to become weak in order to dwell among us. God chooses to serve a people undeserving, people like us. God gives God's life a ransom for many. If and when we serve, it is only ever because God served us first, which is another way of saying we love because God first loved us. Discipleship, I promise you, is an adventure. There is always more to do, and there is always more to receive, which is why, in the end, being a Christian is so much fun. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.